What you're about to listen to is the second part of the two-part Strange Assembly episode, Infallible and Completely Worthless. If you missed the first part, it's available on iTunes or on our website, www.strangeassembly.com. This is the Strange Assembly News Desk for September 18th, 2010. Mike Colson, AEG Events Coordinator, has stepped down and is being replaced by Nicolas Bonjou. The Imperial Gift Part 3 is now being shipped to local stores. The Panecki's Disgrace promo will be mailed to those who are Imperial Assembly members as of October 1. So if you want to get your promo, make sure to keep your Imperial Assembly membership up to date. There are new items in the clan shops on AEG's online store. Beanies, clan character deck backers, and clan-specific Imperial favor cards. In other news, Benjamin, better than Ashley. There's been one story since our last podcast. That's The Ruined Kingdom Part 2 by Sean Carmen, released on September 11, 2010. In this continuation of the Mantis' arrival in the Ivory Kingdoms, the fourth storm is revealed as a fleet of ships called Atakabune that represent the pinnacle of Rokugani shipbuilding technology. Yoritomo Singh explores a nearby city and learns that everyone is gone. Not dead, but gone. He also sees that the Maharaja's palace, distant from the city but usually visible, is also gone. Around the city were found symbols of the Rumalites, cultists who had previously tried to assassinate the Mantis shipwrights in the Ivory Kingdom. The Mantis contingent decides to winter in the Ivory Kingdoms. That's it for the Strange Assembly News Desk for September 18, 2010. Toss-up! Biggest letdown for a villain so far, the Evan Daughter or the God Beast? I'm going to go with the one I haven't heard of, the Evan Daughter. Gaku. <laughs> <laughs> God Beast. The uh, Daughter hasn't appeared yet, so... I'm so gonna go negative with the... is worse than zero, I am. Yeah, negative is worse than zero. I, I, I am a mathematician, you know. It's crazy talk you. Evan Daughter, because the God Beast was only supposed to show up and then die. The Evan Daughter got all this build-up, and then she vanished off the scene after being used to make Daigatsu look cool. Funnier situation, Trevor being forced to read about the lion beating up on the mantis, or Kevin having to hear about how the scorpion had humiliated the phoenix. Trevor reading lion versus mantis, just because I can totally picture him throwing his computer out a window at that point. Whereas I think Kevin will just go on message boards and post angrily. I'll go on message boards and post angrily about story. Yeah, I'd break my computer. Yeah. Again. Bit of rage. Kevin? I would have to say Trevor having to read about the line beating up on the Mantis. Because it would probably involve Shigatoshi getting seasick at some point. <laughs> no, no, the line of beating up on the Mantis. Yeah. It he... would be like Nizen gets seasick while Shigatoshi beats him up. Which would be funnier because Trevor's dislike of the lion is in the story, and so his reaction would be more amusing. Yeah, All right. Better musician, <laughs> Elvis or the Beatles? Uh, Beatles. Elvis, Beatles suck. Beatles. 
Beatles, be... late Beatles anyway. I've been to Graceland. <laughs> now defunct faction most likely to come back. Rattling. They're already back. Yeah! Better be Ninja. Uh, it's a little bit before my time. I started playing a samurai, so I don't know any of He votes Ninja faction. too. Okay. Okay. Crane. Because my original joke was going to be Tatori's army because they're already back in the form of Tamago, but then Jay made a joke about a faction already being back. Sorry. Okay. Who's going to be playable first? Crane Artisans or anything out of Mountain Watch Keep? <laughs> Which one's Mountain Watch Keep? Purple House Cavalry. Uh, yeah, it's Cavalry, so we'll go Mountain Watch Keep. I'm going to go with Crane Artisans on that one. I think Mountain Watch Keep is completely unplayable. Crane Artisan. Any unicorn deck would be better out of anything else. And let's have a little strange assembly roundtable here. On the forums, there was a thread that somebody started about whether or not Stronghold should work when bound. And after exhausting that topic, uh, somebody... Hijacked talking. thread. <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. I like thread hijacks. I'm okay. I, uh, I know on the AEG boards, they don't really like thread hijacks that much. I am a moderator on the Dragon boards. I don't think I'd ever moderate somebody for going off topic on a thread. I don't care. As long as it's a good hijack. There are good hijacks and there are bad hijacks. Well, if the post is just inherently stupid or obnoxious anyway, such that it would have to get modded, then yeah, but I don't really care about random diversions. But uh, it, it then Away went... Away from our random diversion! Yes. So, uh, somebody started talking about generic strongholds and Shattered Peaks Castle and how nobody wants to play any crab stronghold other than that because it's so good, and I, I kind of off-the-cuff tossed this idea out there that actually may seem, seem decent when we thought about it a little more, which is just not having generic strongholds. Now, the reason we have generic strongholds, despite having themes, is that the base set only launched with two strongholds. And you can't have two theme-specific strongholds, because that makes the other two themes completely unplayable to start the arc. So you had to make one of the strongholds semi- Generic. I mean, that's not quite true off the board. I know Mantis started with a couple of basically unplayable themes off off the start of the arc. But for the most part, you wanted to. <laughs> Trevor is holding up his hand, showing four. Four. Yes. Well, I think I think you're doing fine. Uh, hey, you you keep saying you're tired of followers being in the good deck, so we'll just that's Brian nicely, and I'm sure he'll make them terrible again. <laughs> but but I mean, there are you know crab. Crab Shattered Peaks Castle is sort of the, the obvious one, but the, the the kind of notion that I had was what if you just started a base set by having four theme-specific strongholds? I mean, the whole point of the themes is to kind of have these really distinctive deck types such that you can design cards that slot into one of these decks, which makes it easier to go through an arc without power creep, and Reese went on about this again in the most recent Imperial Herald, and the kind of initial thought would be, oh, wow, four, four strongholds is a lot to playtest, but if the whole point is to have four different decks be at least semi-playable 
right out of the gate with an arc, it could actually make it easier if you had a different stronghold for each deck, because you still, no matter what, have to test four different decks, but now you can tweak one deck up or down by adjusting the stronghold without affecting the other ones. What do you guys think? I don't think it would work well from a marketing perspective. I think, I mean, I know for me, when I buy the starter decks, I'm usually buying them for the stronghold. It, it's kind of one of the things that gets my money is getting that new stronghold that I can use. Um, I mean, from a play perspective, it's probably good, but I don't know if it makes sense in the financial sense. So you're saying from a marketing perspective, they're better off deliberately making themes bad to start so they can get people to buy the starter decks later on? Yeah, kind of. It's an evil truth. I don't think so. I think that people are going to buy the starter decks anyway. I think that you can pick whatever theme is kind of lagging behind and give them a different stronghold. Yeah. either makes them better or makes them just a different aspect. Of Th that's how I see it. You have four chances to get the stronghold right in the base set, and if it needs a tune-up later, that's when you print another stronghold. So, what would happen to the old strongholds? Would they become banned or illegal, or what? Well, Coaster no, no. of the week. Coaster no, of the no, week. No, you, you can do different variations on the theme. So, uh, I mean, like, uh, what's, what's a good theme? A scout deck. You could have a stronghold that focuses on scouting ahead, and you can have another deck that's focused on, oh, you've already scouted ahead, now you do something once you've done the scouting. I was thinking more like, you, you try to do something with a theme and it didn't work out at all, so what else can you do with theme to make it playable? Yeah. Well, I mean, you could do two different things depending on what the theme is. Yeah, you could be, oh, we've missed on this theme, Yeah, it's not great. working out, now let's just make a better box, which is still basically serving the function that... Kevin was proposing for a normal stronghold, which is trying to make something unplayable playable. It's just giving you two chances as opposed to, well, this is our one crack at making a stronghold for this theme, and if we miss and it sucks, we're screwed. Yeah. Or, yeah, like Jay was saying, you you could explore a different option. You know, we, we've talked earlier in this episode about, you know, dragon and, and fire tokens. You know, dra dragon monks, obviously pillars of virtue is fine, dragon monks is fine, when Dragon's turn comes up in the rotation, now you make some fire token-related thing, or something that keys off of tattoos instead of keying off of Kiho. It's, I mean, you can just do something different with that, that same theme. The other problem that might occur is that if you give players four strongholds to start off with, they might have some serious analysis paralysis at the beginning of the arc. Um, now, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Players like Trevor will find something they like pretty immediately, but uh, it can be frustrating for, for some players when they're trying to figure out what their best deck is and they've got a lot of options to go through. You have to jump in and get wet, wet with the cards anyway, so... Well, I mean, you're already going to have the four themes. It's just now you pick a theme and you automatically get a stronghold instead of you pick a theme and you have to play with a generic stronghold unless it's, you're picking the right theme that already has a box. Yeah, I mean, the only way in which you're eliminating options is if you just be like, oh, Mantis Economic Warfare. Uh, uh you just can't play this theme. Well, like in the base set of Celestial, there wasn't a card yet. Yeah, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's why I picked that yeah, one, because yeah. that was something I the design team even said, this doesn't, this doesn't really exist yet. It yeah, wasn't even, I mean, it's it, it, it developed that well. incredibly nice, but... There was nothing to start with at all. Yeah, I mean, but it was, let's go back to Shattered Peaks Castle. Like, we started that. I mean, if you 
if you start at the beginning of Celestial Edition and you're, you're playing Crab, your choices are, oh, well, I'm playing Commanders, and so I can try to play, I can, you know, try to use Cute and Hita. But if you're playing, you, you've got a Scout theme, you've got a Berserker theme, you've got a Hero theme, you still have those three different decks to build. They're just all out of Shattered Peace Castle, and that actually exhibits one of the other pro- problems of this is, your generic stronghold is so good that even if you're playing the other theme, you're still playing out of the same stronghold. So everything, every single crab deck is out of the same stronghold. I've never seen, I, I know somebody has somewhere, but I've never seen a crab deck in a tournament that wasn't Shattered Peaks Castle. They're all the same. They're you all the did same. last week. There's yeah. a cute Nahida. It didn't win. Oh, but I, it was I, there. I must not have yeah. actually seen them yeah, it was, playing out of that. Uh, they, there's a scout deck out of Cuban Heater that's semi-playable. But is it better than Shadow Peaks Castle? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't really get a chance to play crowd. Well, I mean, the thing, whether or not it happens, that's just the sort of fallacy that... Well, not fallacy is not the right word. But that, that's the sort of situation that can come up. It gives you the opportunity to miss in a way that makes it harder to, to do things later on. If the... If the card is too good, it blurs distinctions between the themes, and distinctiveness between the themes is something you're shooting for. If the generic stronghold is too weak, well, then you're just handicapping all sorts of themes all over the place, and you have to try to correct, you know, all of them. I mean, I guess it's possible you could print, you know, four different specific strongholds and have all of them be terrible, but... What are the odds of that? You're not just doomed. The, the other thing is that if you have four specific themed strongholds, and you're sacrificing a little bit of, of flexibility in terms of playing decks out of different strongholds. Specifically, I'm thinking about the difference between Shrine of Champions Phoenix Honor and C.O.T. Phoenix Honor. They're actually fairly different decks, and they're both good. Um, I mean, but they're both good strongholds, too. They're both worth playing. So if you have specific strongholds, then you have, you know, just one kind of variety of honor deck or one kind of variety of ninja deck or hero deck. You don't have as many options as far as building like a hero deck as you would if you had like a generic stronghold. Yes, and how many options did you have for building a Yojimbo deck or an Inquisitor deck um, at the start of the arc for Phoenix? At the start of the arc for Phoenix, you could build a Sidage Here's military deck with Phoenix, Shigenja, and Samurai in it. It wasn't done. It was terrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, terrible. That, the, the beginning of the arcs are incredibly restrictive from what actually works because there's two boxes and the cards might support one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, it, it's a valid point that I guess you, I mean, you're, elimin- you're, you're eliminating bleed. You're eliminating the possibility of me being able to say, oh, I can run Dragon Kensei out of the new Kensei stronghold or I can run them out of, well, you, out of TK. You're, but, you're getting rid of bleed insofar as you can mix and match two themes. You can play your spell Yojimbo deck out of COT for whatever reason. What, but mean, of course, that's in some ways a good thing because I mean that's happened too much with Lion. The problem you've got with Lion is all you're, you're just playing all their good guys, so you can't really make a new. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the Lion good. stronghold is really kind of an accent to the dish as yeah, to, yeah, to well, main ingredient. Right. Yeah, we, we talked about this earlier. Yeah, you're like, what do you what do you play with Lion now? The Nerf Central Castle. BPI, Great Hall of Records. I mean, I think we both, not we both, I think we all kind of like Great Hall of Records better. That's even a theme-specific stronghold, but it, 
it, it doesn't really matter that much. None of them are pigeonholing you anything. You're better off just throwing everything together. And maybe that still happens, but... I like VPI, because the line players hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, if you don't have any bleed between the themes, then things get very dry very quickly. Like, bleed is one of the things that's interesting to me as a player when I can combine different themes and get different things out of them. Like, running Alchemist in different decks. In, in terms well, of what you can... You, you can still do that with what we're talking about. Just the box is one, yeah. more naturally. Well, it's just that, I mean, if, you, if your box is more specific, you're less apt to have the lion situation right now where you just pick the... Cherry-pick the best part of every theme. You're not limiting to one theme. Yeah, and what you were talking about to start with, Kevin, isn't really bleed between the themes. You Phoenix started with one gener- basically generic stronghold, City of Tears, and then you started with one theme-specific stronghold, which was, which was Shrine of Champions. It was just that you could kind of play that Phoenix Honor deck out of either one of those. It wasn't a question of, of bleeding. You were still playing the theme, you just had two different strongholds for one basic theme and then other themes that had nothing. And even if you have theme-specific stuff, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't bleed. It kind of depends on how specific it is. I mean, Greg Wong was playing out of Pillars of Virtue, but certainly there was a heck of a lot of theme bleed going on there. Of course, Greg Wong could probably have the most terrible theme-specific stronghold uh, in the world and then come up with something brilliant out of it. I, I joked earlier that Greg is the dragon's fourth theme. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but also, if you look at the yeah. beginning of the arcs, uh, the clans with the most generic strongholds tend to do better in the tournaments, from what I can tell. I The major thing I worry about is that if you start with theme-specific strongholds and you end up designing the clans, the themes, into corners where the players already have this preset deck and they don't have any real options. And, and that may just be some, me being obsessively worried. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to get that no matter what. That you, you, I mean, that, that's again, that's, what, that's yeah. what Lion is at right now, is it's really hard to develop new cards for Lion because they're, what they've got is already so great. So, I mean, yes, the whole point of the themes is you can have, I mean, even if one theme bottoms out that you can't make any new cards for that theme that aren't broken, you've still got three other themes to jump over to. Or we could be wrong. That happens uh, a lot. Well, yeah. like I said, this random discussion of uh, notions. And uh, I think we're probably done with the random discussing of this topic. Now we're going to take a little diversion from Legend of the Five Rings to talk about something that Trevor and I mentioned in the post-Gen Con episode, which is Thunderstone. We're also joined for this segment by Special Strange Assembly guest panelist Benjamin Stevenson. So if you hear some gurgling, he's a dog. Cutest baby ever. I can't yes, comment to that. I haven't seen every baby, but cutest I've seen. So... <laughs> Okay, so Thunderstone is a deck-building game that is made by Alderock. It's got one expansion out now, yep. although we're just talking about the base, the base set with another expansion slated to come out later this fall. Now, a deck-building game, for people who aren't familiar, is something where you 
start out with a very small deck of generic cards. Each player has a, a very small deck of generic cards, and over the course of the game, you add additional cards into your deck, and then your deck cycles through, and you get better cards and more efficient, and then you accomplish whatever uh, at, at the end of that. Sort of the, I mean, the other main deck building game is, is Dominion. And I think sort of the contrast between Dominion and Thunderstone to give you an idea is that in Dominion, you just build your deck and build your deck. And build and, your deck. And, build and then the deck. game ends. Yeah. Uh, and Thunderstone is, is set in a more specifically classic fantasy thing. Dungeon crawl. Yeah, yeah. The really idea, yeah, the idea is just the dungeon crawl. You have a village, you have a dungeon, you buy things at the village, and then that's building your deck. And then you go into the dungeon to kill monsters, so you're actually doing something with your deck. Yeah, one of the things I like about it is that uh, a lot of cards in the game have a gold value in addition to being useful, as opposed to having just specific cards that have a cost, a gold value to them that you used to buy things. So you're not, it helps you have a, a slimmer hand and get more action out of your turns because you don't have to dedicate specific cards in your hand just to buying things. Yeah. I said, it, it, it is set in a, a fantasy setting, so your basic... You, you have heroes, which run... that start out with your generic terrible militia, and then have, you know, fighter archetypes and cleric things and sorcerers, and that, that sort of commentary. Your characters add weapons, you can get spells. Luckily, you're not messy enough to require... Like a wizard to, to have a spell. spell. Yeah, I mean, you get one weapon per hero. That's the main... And your hero has to have the right amount of strength to use it. So there is a little bit of realistic fantasy simulation going your, on there. Your mage can't wield the giant great sword. Well, I don't even think of it as realistic fantasy simulation. That's a way of doing something with the, the cloud. I mean, the, the wizards have things like, oh, they produce light, or their attacks are magical, which, which help one of the things. Whereas one of the things that the more fighter-type heroes have is is heavier weapons, but I think it's also, it's one of three complicators in the combat. The, the core thing is, you have a handful of cards, You have when you go into the dungeon anyway, you have a handful of cards, you have a certain amount of attack, you compare that against the health of the monster that you're fighting, and you either, if you have the same amount of attack, then you beat it, and if you don't, then you fail. Uh, and the two complicating circumstances in that are strength, which is that Many of the better weapons require a stronger character to use them, which means you can put cards that increase strength. So one of your core basic cards in your deck is Iron Rations, which gives a character a plus two strength. So it will let one of your little crummy basic militia be able to use, you know, a real weapon, something other than the dagger, which is the weapon that starts, the crummy weapon that starts in your deck. And then the final complicator is Light. Again, you have a crummy basic torch in yes. your starting deck, and basically the deeper you get into the dungeon, the more light penalties you take, and having things like torches and lanterns... Fireballs and, and wizards and uh, flaming yeah, sword... It helps you up with that, so light ultimately is a penalty to attack, but by breaking off that mechanic, it lets you have a, a different sort of thing. You know, it's not just, I have 12 attack, this is what the monster's health is. Can I beat it or not? It might be, I have eight attack and I have two light. 
maybe because I have that extra light, I can beat a weaker monster that's further into the dungeon, whereas a player with a different hand in that situation might have more attack but less light, and they might be able to beat a, a different monster, or nobody could beat any. And I think that's kind of the function of those two things, is it gives you more design space. You wouldn't have a lot of design space if it was just, what is your attack, what is their health? Right. And there are different monsters that are immune to certain types of attacks, or vulnerable to certain types of attacks, or can only be beaten by a magical attack. So you have to, if you want to tackle those monsters in the dungeon, you have to choose the right cards for it. So there, there is kind of a good meld of the fantasy elements in the game, the way it's portrayed. I think, yeah, when you go into the expansions, you talk about different kinds of monsters. For each, each game, you play with three different kinds of monsters. Each mo kind of monster has a stack of ten. They get shuffled together. In the base set, you have stuff like oozes and dragons and certain kinds of undead. I know the expansion adds in... I know evil druids and some other stuff. Well, I read the description on the back of the box at some point, but I don't remember exactly what the, the list was for for what's in the second expansion. There's also, uh, you can get disease, and in the base sets, diseases all just inflict minus one attack on you. They're, you know, bad cards that get shuffled into your deck that some of the monsters do to you and then clog up your hand later on, but... The uh, the first expansion is supposed to expand out on on those sorts of options. Mm. I might even I know we were talking about this after we played it. It that we would like to play it actually with, with the expansion because the you only get so many options in the core set. One of the things we mentioned is well, it's nice to have one really big village card that's expensive to buy and hard to get, but is really awesome. And in the base set, that's Fireball. But that's the only option in the base set, whereas if you, you toss in Wrath of the Elements, I think it's when I got demoed at Gen Con, I think Creeping Doom must be in Wrath of the Elements, and that was another big, nice spell that did stuff with disease. It let you hand out diseases to other players, which is something that's not in in the base set. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that's sort of missing from the base set, is there's not really any... not really that much interaction between the players... Uh, I mean, this this was Trevor's main concern was that you're you're all playing your game, and other than the fact that there's this dungeon, that if he if the guy to my right kills the monster I wanted, it's gone. Other than that, there's really no interaction between all the players. Yeah, well, there are. There's something you notice. Trevor's not in this. Trevor um, hates deck building games. He yeah. hates Dominion. Uh, I think it's fair to say he hates Thunderstone. Yeah, I maybe. just the, the, the I mean, yeah. There, I guess that's what they say. If you hate deck building games, you probably won't like this deck building game yeah. either. I, uh, I mean, there are, yeah, you, you, you go into the dungeon, you mess later people's dungeon. Uh, it didn't come up in our game, but some of the heroes do things to your opponent. The thief that we were playing with in our game, if you get up to the really high level, one of the things you can do in this is, is level up yeah. your... As you, as you defeat monsters, you collect experience and you can use them to level up some of your heroes, which is another yeah. fantasy role-playing tie-in that they have in the game. Yeah, and kind of another different way other than just I buy cards to, to refine your deck. You, it lets you trade in a, a cheaper, lousier version of a hero you bought and, and, uh, get a better one. Or it lets you trade in one of those really terrible militias you start with <laughs> to get a level one hero. But they, yeah, some, some of those higher ones do mess with your opponent's cards. But the other thing with the, the deck building, 
genre is that there's only so much interaction you can have when you sit down and and mess around with that. Like, I mean, you can, you know, we've talked about Dominion. I mean, you can play Dominion with a lot of cards that mess around at, at this point now with their multiple expansions. You can play with a lot of cards that mess around with other players. But if you put a bunch of those in, the game gets pretty miserable pretty quickly because nobody gets to do anything. I mean, my turn is I dilute your deck with curses, or my turn is I make you discard cards. And so now you're not really accomplishing much on your turns, and then you play them on me, and I'm not accomplishing much, and everything just slows down. So you have to have, you know, if interaction is mostly just jacking with the other guy, it's not an automatic back and forth where messing with the other guy is advancing my win condition at the same time. You're just slowing everything down. So you've got to, you you can have interaction, but you have to be careful that it doesn't get out of hand. Well, one of the aspects of player interaction in a game like Dominion or Thunderstone is that you can buy out a certain type of cards before other players can. Um, and whether or not you choose to go after that really good card early in the game to gives you somewhat of an advantage. But in the case of Thunderstone in particular, it feels like there is plenty of cards in each of decks that that's not really that much of an issue. Yeah, and the different... The different things that you need to assemble, like you need weapons to have high attack, and you need some kind of source of light, and you need people that are strong enough. You you actually have to put together different things. You I mean, you you want to have fighters so you can carry your awesome weapon, and then there's going to be some monster that shows up that you need magic to defeat it. So you want to get some wizards in your deck, and maybe there's you're going to end up with some diseases. So you want clerics. You can't. Whereas, in, I mean, if I play Dominion, I'm often like, this is the best three-cost card. I'm just going to buy this and this and this and this and this and never buy anything else. Until that deck runs out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's true. You have to have a diverse set of cards in, in, in Thunderstone as opposed to being able to just concentrate on one type of card. Yeah, and it can be a, a different game every time. You Each game you play with, in addition to four basic cards, you play with four heroes, and you play with eight other village cards, and you can change that setup from game to game. Right, well, I mean, even with the same setup, people can explore different strategies, whereas Dominion, you very much have, this is the best card at this cost, so I can buy this card, I can spend this much, so I want to get the best card at that cost. Whereas, yeah, I, will. I mean, if I, can, if I can buy a hero, I can go wizard and go for wizards, or I can go for clerics, or I can go for rogues. They're all yeah, I mean, you have different strategies. Yeah. If you haven't bought fighters, you got to watch that. What weapons you buy? Yeah. I will never buy a lab. I mean, any other five-cost card in Dominion, if there's a lab available, a laboratory available, it's like an obvious choice. But, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think we'd all like to play it with the uh, the new expansion. And I would actually, the, our local game store actually has them in stock. I, I mean, I think there are... There are a lot of games that come out every year, and I think Thunderstone is one that has actually sold well enough to not only that they're making an expansion, but that gaming stores are actually ordering in copies of that expansion. So you might actually be able to just walk into your game store and buy something rather than have to special order it and wait until God only knows what the vagaries of the distributor are. One thing I really like about Thunderstone is that I feel like there's less downtime than there is in Dominion. Frequently what happens to me in Dominion games is one player builds that deck where he draws a lot of cards during his turn. He has to draw out his deck and then shuffle it again because he needs to draw more cards. And in Thunderstone, 
turns seem to happen pretty quickly. Um, Chris doesn't seem to have that same experience with me, but I, I, that happens to me a lot. Well, I think it could depend on on the, the flow of the game. The main lag time in Thunderstone is if somebody has to figure out whether or not they can beat something in the dungeon. There isn't, other than that, you're mostly, other than a handful of cards, if you go to the village, you're mostly flop down your hand, I have this much gold, what is the thing I want to buy? Which is something that you can think about while other players are taking their turn, because you can sit there and just look at your hand and know how much gold you have. There's there's a couple, there's what, there's, actually there might only just be one card in the base set that lets you draw more cards in the village, the, the town guard. Yeah. And so you mostly know what you can buy. And even if you don't know what you can buy, I mean, right then, even if you've got the town guard, you know what you want to buy. You know I'm going to town guard. If I get up to nine, I'm buying the fireball or whatever. If I, if I, you know, get up to seven, I'm just going to get whatever the card I can get is. You also have a, a little bit wider variety of costs. In, in Thunderstone. But if you're going to the dungeon, you do have three different options three for different what to do in the be. dungeon. And if somebody can... If, if somebody before you takes out a, a, a monster in the dungeon that shifts things in the dungeon, you may have to rethink it. And it also just depends on on who you're playing with. But one of the... There, there are a lot of advantages that Thunderstone has, Thunderstone has over Dominion, but it definitely... By introducing more complicating factors, it's less friendly for people who just are not gamers yeah. at all. So, if the, the type of person who, anytime there's any decision to make, needs to think about it for ten minutes, and you yeah. hate playing that guy in L5R because you're going to go to time. Well, I yeah, this I, is it's, it's not even something like that. It's just I mean, things that come naturally to people who have been playing really complicated things like L5R or just other games don't come as naturally to somebody who, you know, has played Uno. I, I think a great example of this from my personal experience is I used to play Decipher games a lot. And one year at one of their world championships, they had just introduced the, the Austin Powers CCG. And I remember playing it at the con. They did, they had a bunch of product for people to open. and I'm just horrified. <laughs> and it was... And it was, the game was funny, the game was fast, it was light, it was easy, and I ended up with maybe a box worth of open product, and I took it back to college, and it's out in my, in the mod, in the dorm, and I, we tried to play it, I tried to play it with some of the people I knew in college, and it completely fell flat, and the difference was that this was a really light, easy, basic, simple theme that people could have totally lighthearted fun with, when you were with a group of people who were used to playing games. And all of a sudden, when you introduced it to a bunch of people who had no idea how, uh, you know, we were not used to this sort of thing, it required a lot of thinking and it required a lot of effort. And just that sort of adjustment kind of took the, the fun of it. And I don't think it's an issue of, you know, oh, just the slow player who takes 10 minutes. It's there is going to be, you know, if there's somebody who has to, you know, get to their turn and lay their hand out. You know, they may take, you know, nobody's going to take 10 minutes doing that. But, you know, if they take 30 seconds or 45 seconds of just watching them think, that is something that can slow it down. But once you played that a reasonable amount of time, then that starts to go away. And once you've got people who, who go through, like when I played the demo at Gen Con, and there were five people, you get to the point where, you know, on your turn, you flop your hand down, you grab the cards you're going to buy, or you grab the monster you just beat. 
And then it's on to the, the next player's yeah, turn most of the time. It goes pretty quickly, um, which is what I really, really like about it. Um, it is a, a more difficult game, game to teach. I would not teach this to my mom. Uh, but I, I actually like it better than Dominion. It's a little bit more interesting for me, and I really, really appreciate the, the, the less downtime. Okay. Well, heavens knows that's enough non-L5R for one podcast. Well, because apparently one forum instigated chat about what one may or may not do with the mechanics of L5R is not enough, but we talk a little bit today about Dishonor and what to do about Dishonor, if anything, if anything should be done about Dishonor. The basic principle that I think we can all agree on is, one, there are definitely people who don't like playing against Dishonor ever. Yes. They think it's just, they just hate playing against Dishonor, period. And I think the second thing we can all agree on is that, gosh, playing honor versus dishonor right now can be pretty painful. And I think that's been the case for... Well, it's called the die roll. I've had more fun doing at-home dental surgery. <laughs> taxes. Much more fun. Taxes is much more fun, because when I'm done with my taxes, then I file them, and then somebody sends me a refund check. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas honor, dishonor, it's the same exact thing, except you die roll. Yeah, I had one marathon elimination round honor versus dishonor match that somehow ended up being vaguely entertaining, despite the fact that I went through uh, like two or three sheets of paper keeping track of my honor. So maybe it was entertaining because I won at the end of the day, but <laughs> I, I don't need it's to always do better that when you win. Yeah, let's go, Masajiro. But okay, so people have suggested getting rid of dishonor entirely. People have suggested decoupling honor and dishonor so that you achieve a dishonor victory through some method other than reducing your opponent's honor total to minus 20. That obviously only uh, directs the second half. Uh, I mean, you may come up with some way for these decks to do something other than just pummel each other. I know uh, for honor versus dishonor. I know that you have an opinion about that, Jay. But first, let's just look at what generally... Dishonor. Now, never even mind the honor versus dishonor matchup, that specific problem. Is there actually a problem with the dis- with dishonor decks, or do people just need to get over it? Well, I think one of the, one of the big problems with dishonor is that you you you've got two different matches matchups for dishonor. You have dishonor versus military, and you have dishonor versus honor. And for the dishonor to be able to win by dishonor against an honor deck. It needs to have so much dishonor that against a military deck, it just burns them down. They have almost no chance. I mean, that's why Spider hates dishonor, is because a sp- uh, going against a dishonor deck that can actually win against an honor deck, Spider loses like three turns. They have no chance of getting, of, of doing anything. Well, I mean, I think what Chris is asking is that should dishonor really be a victory condition that's viable? I mean, from my perspective, I've always seen the negative 20 bottom limit of the honor as being a limitation on what you do, how much honor loss you can include in your deck. Um, and I, only two only, the third one will kill you. Yeah, something like that. And the the dishonor honor loss 
I've always seen as the thing that Scorpion is supposed to do is that just something that they use to slow down honor decks and give them a better shot at, get, at beating those types of decks. But I think when it becomes an end in, in its own right, it becomes problematic because of the honor-dishonor matchup. And that's kind of where we are today. Well, that's something if you go back to the very start of the game. One, Scorpion aren't even a faction. So you... I mean, oh, there is, old days. There, there, I mean, there's a dishonor condition. I mean, but it is that's the, there's a reason why dishonor, as traditionally phrased, isn't a win condition. It wasn't when you reach minus 20, your opponent wins. It's when you reach minus 20, you're, lose. you lose. And nobody was doing a huge... I mean, there were some things that made people lose honor, but at the start of the game, I don't think anybody was really making dishonor decks. Even when Scorpions show up, uh, the big feature of the Scorpion was that they, they could, didn't yeah. lose from going to minus 20. They could just keep going down and down and down and down. And there's a very limited amount of, you know, Goshu or whoever, you know, there, I mean, you, the, the, early on you get a very limited amount of honor loss causing stuff, but that wasn't really a big thing that they did. I remember looking back at some of these old cards when you know, obviously, a lot of Scorpion players now really like playing Dishonor decks, and you know, people were talking about, oh, this this ninja stuff isn't. It's it's like this new things that they're trying to stick on. And if you actually go back to the very start, I mean, there's stuff like Poison and Ninja right from the very beginning with yeah. Scorpion, and Dishonor is actually really introduced as a as a deck type much later. I mean, I trying to remember was there Jay? Do you remember was there a specifically Dishonor? Dishonoring your opponent, Scorpion Stronghold until cold. I don't. If, if that, I mean, yeah, it was it was ages. I mean, it wasn't Deception Built Dojo. It was right before that. No, but um, I, I mean, but in any case, I mean, there is there is certainly a, a conceptual thing to that. But in all that little random tangent I just did, I kind of hit on one of the the other things, which is there are a non-trivial chunk of players who really want to play Dishonored decks? Yeah. And it's hard to just be like, oh, I'm sorry, 5% of my player base who is miserable if they're not playing anything but Dishonor, you are out of luck. You just go just go quit now because you're never going to be allowed to play your deck anymore. Because if you didn't have those dedicated I'm, I'm, players... I'm sorry, 5% of my player base that plays Rattling, Tatori's Army, Naga, Spirit, Spider, or, or not Spider, uh, Shadowlands... Um, Name rejected faction here. You can't play your deck anymore, so bye. I mean, I just feel like that's not a good argument that, oh no, some of your players may go away. Well, I mean, how many more players are you losing where they play one game against Dishonor and are like, this sucks? But why, why do people not like Dishonor? I mean, let's set aside the honor versus dishonor matchup. What is different? about honor and dishonor. Honor is, I'm trying to get up to 40. Dishonor is, I'm doing the exact same stuff, except I'm just applying a penalty to your guys instead of... I'm just digging your total instead of raising my total. Well, I mean, Why do people hate dishonor so much and not hate honor as much? Although well, there are definitely people who I, still just hate honor. I think honor there's, there's two things. Firstly... Uh, there is the psychology of there's a difference between you're doing something with your stuff versus you're messing with my stuff. There's, a, there's a certain amount of psychology there. But also, I think, secondly, 
I don't think I've ever seen a Dishonored deck that was not a control deck. People don't like playing against control. Whether that's honor, dishonor, military, people don't like playing against control. And so, I mean, you have honor decks that aren't control, you have military decks that aren't control, but have you ever had a dishonor deck that's not a control deck? No. Yes. Yes? There have been dishonor bomb decks. Yeah. In, in Samurai Edition, you could play Dishonor. You play, that, in fact, that's what, in Samurai Edition, a lot of the time, Dishonor was a, Dishonor was a bomb deck. It wasn't a control deck. I mean, you, you defend, you know, you were just being defensive and trying to keep them off you for a few turns, and then you bombed them out by hitting them for 30 or 50 or whatever in one turn. You could play it as a dragon, not just Scorpion. Well, the other aspect of this problem is that Dishonor is very, very hard to do anything about. When, when I was a new player, you go into a, a Dishonor matchup, you go into your normal matchup, you get, you get beat in the face, and crap comes and smashes your provinces, and, and tears you apart, and you're like, okay, I, I just got beat down by crap, but I'm new. When you go up, and I feel like I could change something about what I'm doing to win that matchup. When I'm, when you're going up against a, uh, Dishonor player, even if you try to plan around what they're doing, there's not a whole lot you can do, and that's partly because of the honor side of the equation. Most of the things that help you with dishonor are things that gain you honor, and anything that gains you honor automatically becomes stronger in an honor deck. And if you have really, really strong honor cards, then honor becomes overbalanced and, and overpowered. And there isn't a lot of good dishonor meta out there that, that's really effective against dishonor. I mean, especially against in like Samurai against a, a Dishonor bomb, you could have that let that that lesser shrine and gain your two honor, get up ten, and then they drop you for thirty in one turn, and you're like, "Well, that was a waste of two hours of my time, or however long it took them to assemble that hand." Well, and I guess that's another not intrinsic, but a difference in practically between honor and dishonor is that there is one clan that plays dishonor generally. I know I just said that there was, I mean, there was a dragon dishonor bomb in Samurai, but most part... There was also a spider dishonor deck in Samurai. Yeah. It worked. Not that well. But yes, it did, it, Justin also made a spider honor deck in Samurai. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's, it's much more restricted. When we think about honor, there are usually multiple clans that have honor. And, and there are, there are two effects to this. The, the first is, again, something psychological. Honor, I think, mentally has more legitimacy. It's been, it's, honor has always been there as something you made a deck that did. And people kind of naturally think about this honor versus military as what kind of deck that you're playing. And because there are more people playing honor, it's easier to play with honor meta. And, and, well, again, I'm blending into my two things. But one is just psychological. People are more okay with honor. But then the other is that because there are a bunch of honor decks out there, you can very easily slot in honor meta. And nobody, nobody has an issue playing with some honor meta event. You know, right now it's War of Dark Fire and New Order. Back in Samurai, it was in Time of War. You're just like, no, I have to put honor meta in my deck. Dishonor meta, people don't like playing with dishonor meta. It's, it, it, I mean, it, it has to be, it's so specific. You're aiming at one clan mostly, so it's a relatively small portion of the field. It's a set of meta that doesn't, that often doesn't do anything. So in Samurai, at the same time that you had, 
you know, people who are auto, you know, you may auto put in time of war in your deck. Rather people didn't like running Darling of the no. Season. It's the same effect against Dishonored, but it's dead so much more often. Yeah, you you you, you go up against a military deck and and you're like, oh, it's Darling of the Season again. I have not played a single Scorpion player this entire tournament. Why am I running that card? God. Well, I mean, <clears throat> also just, I mean, yes, it's the same effect, but it's not quite the same effect either because I mean, an honor deck, five honor turn, that means eight turns. A dishonor deck, if, I mean, depending on the clan, but I mean, if you're playing Spider, you're probably not going to gain that much honor, so that's six turns that they take to get you out. Yeah. The, I mean, the honor threat, that, the dishonor threshold is also half what the honor threshold right. is. So I mean, there's just not a, as well, and I, I mean, even the meta that exists for dishonor just for the most part is not as good as the meta for honor. I, I don't, the dishonor threshold probably is not really half of what the honor threshold is. I mean, an honor deck has to gain about 35, a dishonor deck has to hit you for about 25, and you naturally Except for Spider or Ninja, you have some built-in meta against Dishonor because every turn you can buy a guy for full. Obviously, that's much more effective if you're playing Lion and have a bunch of four-person honor guys than if you're playing Scorpion right. and your guys are ones. Well, I mean, right. At least if you're, well, at least Crab, you're generally popping out lots of twos. So that's, I mean, that's something. Over the course, if a game actually takes five turns, that you know maybe four honor, that, that maybe eight honor you can gain. So that I don't really think. Two to one is is quite a fair de- description, but th- that's also something that could be. I mean, that should theoretically one should be able to balance by just adjusting how much honor you gain with the card. I think talking about how many people play dishonor brings us back to one of the common solutions that people talk about for dishonor, which is more clans do dishonor. If you actually had, you know, three clans or something that could could do dishonor, and I guess theoretically. Supposed to have more than one clan that's got dishonor as a switch element or something tucked yeah, into I mean, one of its. But for the most part, it's got little, a little tiny, like they've got Rokita, where and, they can and, do a little bit of honor hit. But and really, the, there's a few, I'm going to slow you down, but there's nobody like Scorpion who, I'm going to drag you down and. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, does it. Does expanding the availability of dishonor to more clans actually make Dishonor less painful just just by virtue of the fact I, that it's spread out amongst multiple clans and it's more and it's easier to run meta well, against it. I, I think if you spread it out against more clans and you give some solid meta choices for all decks that work, then Right. I mean, people will still complain about it, but it'll be the same if you had, complaint you hear against everything. If you had people are gonna complain. Good meta cards against it. Like things like proper deference, where you've got a viable act bot action on the card that can also be used for honor meta. And I think it, if if more clans had it available, it would be less of an aggravation to meta against it. Like you wouldn't feel like you're wasting your time for a matchup that you may or may not see in a tournament. Right. Well, also you you would be expect to see it more. You wouldn't be like, oh man. I, I'm only expecting to see at most one scorpion, so I'm gonna lose to Dishonor. Oh man, I saw three scorpions today. This is horrible. 
if you're expecting to see more than one Dishonored deck a day, then you're going to be more inclined to put more meta for Dishonored decks in, and you don't go, oh, I saw three Dishonored decks, I left that as my bad matchup, this sucks. Yeah, so do we, there's, does there just need to be more, a, a different variety of Dishonored meta? Because one of the things that comes up with Dishonor, when you think about it, like an Honor deck, there's always plenty of meta against an Honor deck, and it comes from a variety of sources. There's always those core events, but an Honor deck generally isn't willing to run Forewarning just to stop New Order. They do sometimes, but they're often not, but they're running But the Dishonor deck, one of the things that comes up when people talk about Dishonor is that Dishonor always has, is always has available to it the right counter meta. I mean, if you think about Oyo Sato, if you got to play with a a holding that just said target player loses, if target player who has more honor than his family honor loses two, than his starting honor loses two honor as a meta against honor decks, I think honor decks would pitch a fit, and rightly so, that that was was really nasty. But a lot of the time, the discussion about that in the dishonor context is Oyo Sato doesn't really do anything because they know that Oyo Sato is really the one meta card. The one good meta card that you've got against them, so they can they can just play with corrupt officials to shut it down, or they can play with only action speak to shut it down. Well, I mean, part part of that too is that the counter meta they're running, the corrupt officials, the only action speak, the faint praise, are still good even if you're not even as not counter meta, but as slow down the honor deck. Yeah, the the, the counter meta that they're running is, is is really honor meta that's already out there. Um, it just happens to work into their Dishonor theme just as well. But that seems to have always been... I mean, if you go back to Samurai, it felt the same way. I mean, you were, uh, you were banking everything on one of a couple of holdings or on Darling of the Season. So you you play against one of those bomb decks, and they all had Shrine of the Suns to shut down your Darling of the Seasons and Forewarnings to shut down your Darling of the Season and Holding Control to shut down... You know, if you actually were playing with Lesser Shrine or, or something like that, I... right? Exactly. You're you're because the meta for Dishonor is significantly more limited than your meta against Honor. It's much easier for the Dishonor deck to play the counter meta. You're you're right. Yeah. So I guess I mean it seems like we think that yeah, Dishonor amongst more clans is better. Right. I mean, because would, 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 point... would help things and a wider variety. Uh, and to go with that naturally, then you have a wider variety of meta right, like you exactly. do for Honor. The only problem, though, is that it still doesn't solve the issue of passive honor versus passive dishonor. Well, I mean, I, I know how you well, feel sorry, about I mean, it. Gotten yeah. into, well, actually, before we get to the honor versus dishonor matchup, there's actually another aspect of just the general dishonor thing, which is that you lose in the middle of your attack. Yeah. With dishonor, one of the oh, yeah. most. I mean, the the most. Yeah, that's probably the most loathed dishonor card ever is assigning blame because it took that particular aspect to new heights where it was literally for those who crushing your problem. Yes, yeah, assigning blame for people who didn't play back in Samurai Edition was a broken card. Well, no, you Samurai Edition was good, but yeah, assi- assigning blame assigning was a broken blame card. Reacted to the other guy destroying your personality, and then it it hit them for a three honor loss and dishonored somebody and. And, and, and back in an environment where it was hard to dishonor somebody. Yeah. But you would attack at the last province, you crush their army, within the course of battle resolution, destroying the army comes before destroying the province. 
So even though you were at their last battle and your army was about to take your province, you killed their guys first and then they play multiple assigning blames and you lose, even though you had just won what was supposed to be the final battle. And with an honor deck, I played military, I played honor. When I played an honor deck, people like futilely attacking you. Yeah. If, even if you are at 40 and you've got three provinces left, and, and, and you know in this, if you're at 40, you've got three provinces, you win. Uh, your opponent isn't generally not going to be able to crack them. Well, yeah, but they but, like to attack. Well, yeah, I mean, even then, I, I've been in that where it's like, I'm not taking all of your provinces. I'm going to take one or two just to make myself feel better. Yeah, I, I mean, people like that. People like to either, either they swing against all three and just, you know, try. Or I've even had people, I've got three provinces left, they attack two of them. And they know I'm, I just assign everybody at the third and don't even defend. But it seems like there's a level of of satisfaction in that, which you don't get with, with Dishonor. With the Honor deck, you've got the choice. You can always attack, and you can always at least try. With the Dishonor deck, you're sitting there at negative 18, and you know if you don't attack, you're gonna lose. they're going to ding you for two or three or four on, on their turn, and you're going to lose. And you know if you attack, their first battle action is going to be, move your guy home, lose two honor. Right. And you know you're going to lose. And you have a choice, and both options are terrible, and don't like not having options, and they really don't like having multiple options, all of which are bad. Well, the other well, it's not just multiple options, all of which are bad, it's multiple options of losing the game. Of No matter what I choose, I've lost this game. Yeah, it does get to the point when you're an experienced player where you're up against an honor deck and you know you can't win, and when, when you're like, when you can't win and you know that your loss is like two turns away, but there's nothing you can do about it, that's a horrible, horrible feeling. But for a new player, the first time that you get hit by a dishonor loss, it feels like you've been cheated. It feels like I just took your last province, but but you're uh, something I can't say on the air. <laughs> okay, so now Kevin, you were kind of taking it to the specifically dishonor versus honor, but I'm actually going to go to Jay because I know Jay yeah. has something you well, very I'm, much want to say I've, about I've honor been versus talking dishonor. About this, I mean, to me, the the, the honor versus dishonor. Big thing. I mean, the problem is it's two passive decks. For the most part, your honor deck is sitting at home, gaining honor, and going to battle on the defense. And so is dishonor. And so that leads to the situation where, well, basically, an honor deck and a dishonor deck are both trying to keep their provinces alive while you're on a clock. For the military, the military players on a clock. So the honor versus honor matchup, or the dishonor versus dishonor matchup, it's a race whose clock is faster. The honor versus dishonor matchup, it's a tug of war. You're yanking the clock back and forth, and it takes forever. Yeah, and like you said earlier, if the dishonor player can actually dishonor out the honor player, that's a bad sign for military decks. Yeah. Now, what you were saying earlier, I think even before we were there, is it... You're, you were basically like, the Dishonor player should just have to attack into the honor deck. Right, well, I mean, realistically, the, the the players don't do this often enough, but my feeling is when you get into this tug-of-war, one of the players needs to go on the offensive to break the tug-of-war tie that's going on. Either one. Whoever is losing the tug-of-war should go on the offensive, bust some provinces to regain the, tug, the upper hand on the tug-of-war. Now, I think that just generally, I would rather see the Dishonored deck go on the offensive, because what I, I mean, the design I would like to see is Dishonored deck against a military deck, you 
go on the defense. You you actually show up for your defense. You're not just sitting at home, outer walls and refugees. You you show up during the course of the battle. You save your province and you cause a bunch of honor hits to the military player. And over three or four attacks, you eventually drag them down. Where and then again, dishonor versus honor deck. You the dishonor deck goes on the offensive. And the honor deck is presented with a choice, either get in the way, in which case I'm going to drag your honor down, or stay out of my way and I'm going to crush the province. So it's no longer that the dishonor deck is trying to beat the honor deck by dishonor. It's now the dishonor deck is trying to beat the deck, the honor deck by military, and it's using its dishonor to significantly slow the clock, because, I mean, a, a, a good honor deck, if it's on its normal speed clock, the dishonor deck is not going to take it militarily. It's by slowing the clock that you're able to win, and so that way you get around, get away from the problem of the dishonor deck has so much dishonor to over to make the honor deck lose by dishonor that it is just no contest for the military deck to honor dishonorably. But I mean, you said people don't do that that much. I mean, there's a reason people don't do that that much because. Usually, I mean, especially if you're, atta- if you're attacking the dishonor deck, that all of a sudden turns on all of their their battle dishonor that they haven't been able to play. Right. If you, I mean, and, and for the right. dishonor well, talking to honor, I mean, they've already got that. It's called Seven Stings Deep. People hate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not saying right now it's the best thing, but that's the direction I'd like to see design go. Is is well, aim it that way. That's that's what they started off doing in Celestial. All the all the honor loss cards in Celestial, with the exception of maybe Jutsushi, were battle honor loss, and the Scorpion players reacted really really negatively to that. They they couldn't play the decks, and I tried out one of one of one of the decks at the time. I did fairly well with it, but you know. Your mileage varies against well, your opponent. I, I, Scorpion was not good at the start of Celestial. I'm not saying this, this is the most viable thing right now. I'm certainly not saying that it's ever been the best thing. What I'm saying is that's where I would like to see design take the game, is make it so that the Dishonor deck is showing up in battle. That's where it gets its Dishonor going. I mean, I think that some of the frustration against the Dishonor deck will go away when it's no longer sitting at home messing with your stuff with you no not able to react to it, but instead is in the battle where you are able to react to it. Problem is that players don't want to do that. They they just simply refuse to play that style. Well, I, I mean, deck. I, and to be to be fair, that's not something that's restricted to dishonor players. I mean, Crane was given a switch theme. This arc basically scouts, and that has not gotten a, a lot of popularity. I mean, people either want to play it as a just straight up honor deck, maybe an honor deck where you defend more heavily than you might in something like Last of Castle, but still a straight up honor deck. So that's, I mean, it seems like military slash X switch is something that people, either people have a hard time with or Design has a hard time with, which I guess makes sense because it has to be, you know, your military deck, you have to be good enough as a military deck and good enough as an honor deck. And if you aren't careful, you get to 
lion at the end of Samurai Arc, where you're a better honor deck than most honor decks, and you're a better military deck than most military decks, and you can just smash a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'm saying at the end of Samurai, and I don't know if I'm actually picking the right time frame, because that was all about Unicorn and, uh, Unicorn and Scorpion, actually. So maybe I'm just thinking the first Kote season of, uh, Samurai Arc. Because I know Lion kicked my... Well, well, yeah, I'm, I'm probably thinking the first, the first Kote season. I'm, I'm not just talking about Scorpion players. There are, uh, there are Honor players who just want to play Passive Control, too. Um, I mean, there are definitely Phoenix players who want to play Passive Honor decks. And, and that's, that's the problem is that they're always going to be these players and they're going to insist that they get the, the open action phase control type stuff that they want. Um. Yeah, I mean, well, should Jay, I mean, if you want to, you want to take that away from Dishonor players, should Honor players not be able to do that too? Should yes. both of those decks? Yeah, I, I agree with the design team's stated goal, if not actual goal of making the passive decks. I mean, I'm okay with a certain, with some, Limited control. You certainly want some limited control, but I mean, where was the fun in the was Lotus Kozuko Sensei? I'm gonna bow out all your guys before the attack, and they can't straighten and they can't move in, and you could never attack me no matter what you do. It was diamond and that was, it was diamond. Well, that was Wrath of the Emperor. The the set of I have like three broken cards and a bunch of terrible. Right. I mean, stuff. I'm I'm certainly not saying stop making any open control. I'm just saying. Don't make it so that open control is so strong that you're playing a deck that's only open control. Because nobody wants to play against an open control deck. You want to play against a military control deck. And what do you say to people say like who say, oh no, now you're just making it Bushido Brawl, that's like Uh I mean, okay. The... I mean I, I know you're like okay with saying, oh, it's fine to to tick off a chunk of your players, but you know, magic had a similar sort of aspect with control decks. You have, you know, and, and counter magic. You have a lot of people who hate playing against that sort of thing. You have a lot of people who want to play with that. I mean, if you add up all the people from all the different clans who want to play at least control-ish decks, that, that's a lot. You have to satisfy... I'm saying, yes, keep control-ish, keep some control elements, but don't make it so much that that's all you're going to do. Like, so the, the Dishonor deck, instead of making it, I'm gonna make you lose three honor during the open phase if you have a Dishonor guy, make it battle, I'm gonna make you lose three honor. That give some amount of open control in bowing and, uh, not assigning to attack and losing force, but don't give open actions that gain or lose honor, that advance your win condition, force you to go to the battle to advance your win condition. Now, what about the sort of idea that was actually thread that inspired this segment was about, which is completely decoupling the honor and dishonor win conditions. Make the dishonor win not be about putting your opponent in negative, negative 20. You know, you win by giving them so many dishonor people, or you win by giving them the dishonor honor. counters, yeah. or... I mean, let's set aside for a moment, you know, whether or not any of the suggestions that, that I, you know, that people have made publicly about this are, are functional. I mean, is that something worth attempting? I'm kind of reminded of Netrunner and, and the bad publicity mechanic. Um, in Netrunner, the bad publicity mechanic was another way that the, the runner could win when they gave the corp pad publicity tokens. Um, it was very hard, though. 
poison tokens. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like poison tokens. When the corp got seven bad publicity tokens, they lost. Period. And there were definitely some decks in that, that game that were non-interactive. They're just like, I take some brain damage and give you bad publicity, and then I heal my brain damage and do it again. Um, it probably doesn't make any sense to anybody who doesn't play Netrunner. You can damage the physical body of the Netrunner brain damage when that permanently reduce your hand size or yeah. something. Yeah. But I mean, is there, I mean, is that something we're doing? I guess to me, there's an inherent loss of elegance to bring around these, you know, to have these two different arm mechanics going on. And I guess if I saw something that seemed good enough as an idea, that might be something worth doing, but it's, it's a substantial shift away from how the cards work now, I think. And I haven't, I just have not seen anybody propose anything that, that comes close beyond just Counting up the number of honor, of dishonorable and dishonorably dead people that that the other guy has, and once it gets to X, they lose, which seems like it would have all sorts of balance issues. Yeah. But I think the problem is you try to decouple them. At, at some level, you lose the idea of honor as a cost that you can pay. That there are. Or you can, that you can play Oni or Dishonorable Tactics, and that costs you some of your honor, and if you do too many, you're going to lose. Well, you could still have Dishonor. You actually, without a mention, you, you could still have Dishonor as a loss condition. Like we were talking about earlier, you lose by going to minus 20, but there's no such thing as a deck that tries to put you to, to minus 20. So there just aren't cards that say, do X your opponent loses two honor. Or, if there are a few, they aren't something you well, build well, a deck around. This... And, it, and it actually would let you expand meta as well. One of the sort of issues with how you design the honor and, and dishonor meta is that you have to be careful with things that, uh, you know, I think Kevin was talking about this, you know, the simplest way to meta dishonor is to have things that gain you honor. You can't just print a bunch of cards that are good and gain you honor. Or else you have to worry about the honor deck just being like, oh, hey, look at this. Bow your guy, gain four. I'll take that. Or, or you have to start printing a bunch of cards that say, gain X honor if you have lower honor than your starting honor. And even that doesn't help against the bomb, although it's probably not that hard to just not put the tool for a bomb out there. Honestly, in, in my ideal situation, there, there wouldn't be enough cards in the environment to actually dishonor somebody out without them actually actively helping you out by playing cards that cost themselves on. Again, I would like to see Dishonor be not a active focus of a deck to win, but rather a way for the, the a military deck to slow an honor deck's clock, and therefore have enough time to win. Which, I mean, is still a something that you can't build a deck around. And this is something that I've said is certainly the cleanest solution. Get rid of this honor decks. You've got to give Scorpion an honor deck or something. Because you can play a defensive control honor that plays very similar to how a dishonor deck plays. It's the same kind of, kind of stuff. And then you just eliminate, the, you just eliminate that, that paid for much. But I, like I was saying, I don't know if that flies. I don't know if Scorp Scorpions tolerate that. I don't know if you can make a, a Scorpion honor deck that, I mean, I guess at that point it's, Perceived honor, maybe, but you're still twisting it flavor-wise because the Scorpion aren't about being honorable. They're 
Everybody knows they're bad guys. It's just, you know, they're going to do worse things to you and right. they make you look even worse. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think some Scorpion players would, 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 would dig it. They, they like the idea of humiliating their opponent and dishonor. It's, it's kind of, they, it's, some of these, these players just like that, that idea that I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you down and, and, and crush your name in the dirt. Okay, well, those players I'm quite willing to have leave the game. If that's how some player out there gets his rocks off, well, tough. Okay then, so, in sum, we have accomplished nothing. Woohoo! Yay! That's it for this episode of Strange Assembly. You can download our podcast on iTunes. You can also subscribe on our website, www.strangeassembly.com. You can email us at strangeassembly at gmail.com and visit us at our forum. We get lonely. I'm Daryl. Squeak! Can't get that one! I'm apparently the artist formerly known as T-Money. I'm Kevin Kennedy. I'm Chris Stevenson, and... If you're very sad about the idea of not getting to listen to Strange Assembly for a whole week or something, remember, don't panic.